have a few announcements. Uh, we had a great time last night. Some of you were able to join us out here for our hog roast. Had a great uh, turnout. Have a few pictures on the screen of uh, the, the fun time we had out here. And so we uh, had numerous people that were saying, when are we going to do this again? So keep your uh, ears perked up for that. Maybe we'll try another uh, event like that. It was just great to be together hearing people visiting and connecting after uh, a long time of not being able to do things like that. We are... Uh, doing a, a kickoff for the Soul Garage this coming Wednesday. So our summer calendar kind of been flipped upside down, but this week, we've, uh, this past week, we decided to go ahead and do a summer kickoff event. It's going to be kind of a two-for-one deal, uh, two separate events, same day. The first event is at 1.30 p.m., and this is um, open to all youth. Uh, parents can come as well as uh, young adults. And it's going to be some, uh, some conversations about current events. And so obviously there's a lot going on in our world, and we want to help uh, navigate that from a biblical perspective. And so we're going to spend about an hour doing that together, just having a conversation and looking uh, into some things that Michelle and I have been compiling to help, um, help us navigate through some of these interesting things we're facing in our world. And then at 3 o'clock, we will uh, do our kickoff. We'll have, uh, if the weather's permitting, we'll have a little campfire out here. We'll do some food and fun and games and fire. And uh, so that's from 3 to 8 p.m. for all youth. And that includes incoming sixth graders. So um, sixth graders, even if they're planning to finish up Awana this next year, they're still welcome to join us this summer for youth events as well. So we'd love to welcome in the new sixth or seventh graders that haven't been a part of the youth group yet. And then a uh, reminder that we have, well, maybe this is the first you've heard of it, June 28th, we are going to try to do corporate prayer again. It's been a little while since we've been able to do that, but we'd love to gather back um, together as a church to pray together corporately, face-to-face, -face, and not just doing it through video. So that's June 28th at 6 p.m. And then August 14th and 16th, if you were here two weeks ago, we mentioned this for the first time, but we're going to do a camping weekend, all-church camping weekend. Everybody's invited. That's going to be up in Birchwood, um, 14th through 16th at Doolittle Park. We do have uh, some sheets at the welcome desk that are printed off, about 25 of them. And if you want to grab, if you're interested, you want to grab one of those, um, Carla Hargrave is the primary contact, and she is uh, going to be at services tomorrow, but... Um, if you want to call her and get signed up, you can do that, um, whether it's for tenting or RV sites. Both are available. And we just want to also mention that if you're not planning, if you don't want to camp or spend the night there, we'd love for the church, anyone from the church who wants to join us just for the day, come out for the day, hang out with us, and, and have fun together there during the day, even if you um, are not so interested in spending the night there. And then uh, last kind of handful of little announcements, just our regular reminders that prayer requests are still um, being submitted online. And since we're not doing bulletins, thank you for helping us with social distancing. If you use a pew Bible, which you're welcome to, please just place it on the desk in the lobby that's by the offering collection box there, and we'll get that cleaned up before the next time it gets used. And with that, I invite Pastor Cody to come bring the word tonight. Good evening, everyone. I want to get right into it today. We are, again, walking through the Old Testament. We're going through the minor prophets. And my goal, what, I've got many goals this summer, hopefully be able to memorize the order of them that we have in our Bibles 
Again, it goes Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. I'm only doing seven to get your brains thinking that, partially because when I was a kid, there's seven numbers we always memorized, and that was a phone number. And for some reason, seven words, seven numbers are easy to memorize. Again, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So we are at Amos today. And again, our summer summary of this, and this is the theme that we're going to be pushing through the prophets as we look at them. The minor prophets show us a glimpse of God's wake-up call. Again, God is giving this wake-up call to the people, to His people, to wake them up. And also, the hope of God's love that will not let us go. Again, that's the phrase, out of all that we're doing, I hope that's the phrase you remember, that God's love will not let us go. Which is ultimately found in Christ. Again, we're going through... Christ in the Old Testament. So in Amos, we're going to see glimpses of Christ. In Obadiah, even though it's 21 verses long, we will see glimpses, each of these minor prophets. So before we get into the Word, let's pray. Because it's important, as you hold this divine book, we seek God in this. We want Him to move in our hearts. So let's pray. Lord, thank You for this amazing book of the Bible. Amos is dear to my heart. It's been dear to my heart for almost 30 years. Lord, You've spoken to me in mighty ways. You've changed me through this little book. And Holy Spirit, we ask tonight that You would bring conviction. Too many times we get comfortable and we need conviction. Because none of us are perfect Yet, it says in Scripture, someday, when the perfect comes, when you come again to take us home, then there will be perfection. But we need to be convicted. As we get into Amos, I pray you convict us. So guide us, we pray, in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Alright, so who was this prophet and what was his message? Amos was a shepherd, and he also dealt with fig trees. So take a look at this picture here. This is taken from the Gospel Project. This is available on Right Now Media. He was, again, we'll, we'll deal with this more next week. Again, the kingdom was divided. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He lived in the southern kingdom. He lived about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And he was unique because he wasn't called to preach to the southern kingdom, God said go to the northern kingdom and let them know the message. And he wasn't a qualified prophet as most people thought. He wasn't learned in the books. He wasn't brought up in the priestly system. He was a shepherd, a farmer, and he dealt with fig tree. He was a blue-collar worker. And because of that, he had the freedom to say the message where most people would normally close their ears. For instance, if you have, if we had a political meeting and you had a politician, right away you might close your ears. Or if there's a sales representative that comes to your business who has a certain product, you might already go, I already know his slant. I already know what he's going to try to be pushing. He's a professional. I'm just going to plug my ears. Here's Amos. Farm boy comes up just like everyone else, and then God delivers messages through him 
without the interest of public opinion or position in the religious community, he was able to speak a powerful message to the northern kingdom. So before we get into his message, let's take a look at the imagery that Amos uses. In fact, go to chapter 7. 7 into 8 he uses five different visions and five different imageries to kind of wake people up. Amos chapter 7. He uses locusts, which Pastor Eric mentioned last week. Joel uses locusts. He uses fire, and then he uses this analogy of a plumb line. Take a look at this. Chapter 7, verse 7. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. So here, Amos has these five visions that he reveals to the people, to Israel, and God gives them saying there's judgment coming. And again, these visions are wake-up calls to His people. So let me give you an example. I recently went two weeks ago on vacation. We were gone, I think, five or six days. I forget how many days. It just blurred together. We went to South Dakota to see the Badlands, the Black Hills, Mount Rushmore. Anyone has ever gone out there? Raise your hand. Most of us have. When I was a little kid, I was like, that's the poor man's vacation for Wisconsinites. You know, if you, if you can't go to Disneyland, you'll go there, which I think is a better place to go. So when we were there, we went to the Badlands, went to the Black Hills, and then we went to this great place, Mount Rushmore. Take a look at these gr- four great faces, all right? I'm not talking about the carved ones. I'm talking about my daughters, okay? We were there, and you could see the beauty of it. And one of the main attractions, of course, are these carvings. And I was able to get up as close as I could. The next picture is as close as I could get to it. If I would have brought my climbing gear, I might have dressed in camouflage, snuck around, tried to do some crazy stuff, but I didn't want to get put in jail, so I didn't. We stopped and looked at this model. Here's a picture of the model. The next picture, in this room, they have this model of what they were. In fact, the, the carving isn't complete. They ran out of time and ran out of money. The goal was to do, if you notice, look at all the way down, Lincoln's hand, all that stuff. It's not complete. Well, it's complete in our opinion. But when I was standing there in the room with my wife, and Grace was with me, I noticed hanging right by Lincoln's nose is a what? A plumb line. Maybe you can't see it. Go to the next photo here. Here's one in front of Jefferson. Here's part of the model, too. They would hang these so they made sure their noses were straight, not crooked, and they wanted to make sure everything was to scale. And then here's, a close, or here's another picture the last picture, I think, is there they are. Oh, I'd love to be hanging off that like that. I wish, oh man, if I could do that, would be awesome. Anyways, so notice that there's plumb lines to make sure everything is in accordance. It must be straight. It must be accurate to what they sculpted and what they wanted. 
So a plumb line is a string like a mason line with a heavy weight that you hang. I forgot, to, I have one in my garage. I'm going to bring one to show you. That way the wall, if you hang it up by a wall, you can make sure the wall is straight because if it's crooked, it could fall on someone. They didn't make walls like we do today. Back in the day, they didn't have two-by-fours. They didn't have sheetrock. They didn't just slap it together. They had chunks of stone. And if you piled it up 10 feet or more, if it's crooked, it could fall on someone and kill someone. So a plumb line helps things be straight. It's kind of like a level. We use levels more today. Now you probably use lasers. Matt's probably like, yeah, they use lasers and all that kind of stuff. You don't want crooked walls because they could collapse. So back to Amos chapter 7. God is saying this. Guess what, people? I have a standard. I have a plumb line. And my standard is my law. This is how you should align yourself. Be straight. Be in accordance to my standard. And if you don't, if you deviate, then you'll become crooked. And then you'll be ready to collapse. Not even just physically, but spiritually and morally. You will collapse if you don't stay to my standard, to my plumb line. So where did the people fail? I mentioned many years ago I got into Amos. I decided to read through the Bible alphabetically, not verse by verse, but I started with Acts, then Amos. And I camped out in Amos for a month. I'm like, boy, I'm not going to make it through a year. Amos has a powerful message. And it's interesting that Amos is different, and so, same with Obadiah, they're different than your typical minor prophet. Most of them are like, guess what? You failed, you broke God's covenant, judgment's coming, ah, but a remnant will happen. Amos gets very specific to the northern kingdom. The kingdom had reached great prosperity and military heights. And politically, they felt secure. So they're laying back in their lawn chairs, feet up going, oh, life is nice for us right now. We feel secure. Everything's great. And having those things in itself is not bad to have or to want. But, Many times when humans arrive in this position, they become, here's dangerous words, self-reliant. They became self-reliant. For the Israelites, they became outwardly secure, but spiritually smug. They indulged in things they shouldn't indulge in. They st stepped away from God's standard. They had luxurious living. You read through Amos, you realize, wow. Corruption towards others in the legal system. And one of the big things Amos says, you're oppressing the poor. What are you doing? You're living all fancy, but you're using the legal system to not care for the poor. In fact, take a look on the screen. I'm going to look at different parts of Amos here. Amos chapter 2, and then into 3 and then 5. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Now into chapter 3. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. 
The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed. And the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Into chapter 5. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mason, mansions, sorry, you will not live in them. And though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So one of the big things was you're living this luxurious life, but you're forsaking the poor. You're not helping them. And Amos, God through Amos, condemns Israel's life of luxury and laziness at the expense of the poor. Again, it's not wrong to have nice things, but if you get those things in a wrong mean and get it from the poor and don't care for the poor, there's problems. They would go to Bethel, a place that they would worship and have religious events. They would do an outward form of worship, but in the end, they were religious hypocrites. Take your Bibles and go to chapter 5 starting with verse 21. It will be on the screen here. I hate, this is the Lord speaking, I despise religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away. With the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Because here's the deal. You cannot say, I love God, and not love your neighbor. You can't say that. Because of their spiritual failure, they didn't stay true to the plumb line. They were going in areas of injustice. They didn't care for the poor. And God was done with that. But notice that last verse there, verse 24, there's the word justice and righteousness. In the Hebrew language, there's two words, primary words, for the word justice. The first one is mishpat. Mishpat is kind of the basic meaning, to treat people fairly, impartially, to give people their rights. Now listen to this. When you give someone their right, that means you care for them, but if they broke the law, then the right is punishment. Remember that. Giving someone their rights is care, but also punishment, regardless of their race, regardless of their social status. Rich or poor, regardless of that, they have rights. For all persons, why? Why does everyone have rights? Here it is. Never forget this. We've been created in the image of God. We've been created in the image of God. So, mishpat is the first one. Then the next one is sadika. Sadika. This is translated as being just or being righteous. Let righteousness flow. The way in which a person conducts relationships with God 
within the family and within society with fairness and kindness. This is how you live it out. You must have this sadika about you. You're righteous. When you're sitting at a place and someone fancy comes in, you get all, oh, I'll take care of them. But if a poor person comes in, oh, I won't worry about them. No, 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 no. In fact, in the Old Testament, the biblical understanding of justice and righteousness with these two words includes, and i got four things here, divine justice, whether judgment or blessing. God is all about this justice. You'll have judgment or blessing. Or in a government way, governmental justice, there should be legal systems that care for problems. Also, individual justice, person to person, and lastly, groups, social justice. Amos warned the people that there were consequences of religious hypocrisy and social injustice. If they would have stayed to the plumb line that God gave them, things would be good for them. If they would have stuck to the law, it would have been good. And God holds people accountable for their social policies and care for the poor. In fact, here's out of Deuteronomy 15. Listen to this. I command you, you shall open wide your hands to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Why is it when we have a lot of stuff, we go like this? I'm just going to keep it in my pocket. We should open our hands in a great way. It says, open your hands wide those who are needy and they were breaking the law israel's hypocrisy and injustice had been ugly and painful still it could not extinguish god's faithful redemptive love that will not let them go in fact turn to the last verse of the whole book of amos chapter 9 God will restore a remnant in Israel. And in the end, here is a promising hope for the future in the form of a messianic kingdom and blessing and the permanent restoration of Israel. Amos chapter 9, verse 15. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Even though they failed, even though Amos had to come from the south, go to the north, warn the people, you're messing up. God in the end says, guess what? In the end, you'll survive because I have a love that will not let you go. So that's the message of Amos in a nutshell. So what is the message of Jesus that resonates with Amos? So here we get into something very important. I encourage you, I know we don't have pencils anymore because we didn't want like kids playing with pencils, but maybe get your phone out and this is where you take some notes. You have a pencil and paper, take some notes. What I'm first going to do is talk about Jesus and his words of justice and then how justice should be thought about today in our lives. The themes of justice and righteousness are covered often by Jesus. In fact, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you cannot miss how Jesus deals with justice, the oppressed, the poor, those who have diseases. 
fact, let's do this. I got some of these on the screen. You can turn to them. Matthew chapter 23. Talking about religious people here, Jesus says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I'm going to get a jump from verse to verse here. Everything they do is done for people to see. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. Jump down to 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Just like the people in Amos. Looking all shiny on the outside, trying to do what they can so they can be religious, but they're not caring for others. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I could have, I could have spent 20 minutes reading verses of how Jesus deals, but just only two more here. Luke 14, verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. The themes of God's justice in the book of Amos are supremely filled in Jesus Christ. They truly are. Jesus is the one who does it. In fact, take your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 4. This is a famous passage. We've read it already twice in our series, Christ in the Old Testament. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 8. Jesus picks up a scroll, Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the full good news of the gospel message is, yes, this deals with salvation, spiritual blindness, but also the full good news of the gospel reaches out to the poor and to the needy. That's the message of Christ. He is the one who fulfills this justice in God. But now we get to this big question. And honestly, for two weeks, I'm going, Amos is coming. All that's been going on in this world today, all this injustice, all this rioting, all that's going on with racism, all that's going on. Okay, Amos is coming. Lord, what should we do? And honestly, many churches will turn right to Amos when this stuff goes on because Amos is the one who says, take care of those who are being trampled on in justice. The main part of Amos is the poor. So here we go. The big question is, how should justice look like today? Here's what I want you just to write down. Six points here coming up, okay? Is it the social justice movement? Is that how justice should look today? Is it evangelism? 
Is it? I should sell everything I have and give it to the poor. Jesus did say that to someone. What should it look like today? Where do we begin? What is the right way to understand justice and the right way to show it? To answer that, we look at what is at the heart of Christianity. A Christ-centered justice. Christ-centered justice. And you'll see here this in a moment. Any other ways of doing justice will fail unless you have a Christ-centered justice because He is the one who is just and lived it out. So in our answer today, I'm not going to spend time looking at all the particulars of all the events happening in Atlanta, Minneapolis, and all that stuff. Instead, I'm going to look at the foundation of how we should understand justice, and then from there you can go, okay? Does that make sense? We're going to look at the foundation. Six steps, and here we go. Step number one, the first step, and we must begin with this. Here it is. Jesus is God's plumb line. Jesus is God's standard. He is the fulfillment of the law. He sets the standard on how we should love God and love others. Never forget that. Jesus is our standard. It's not a politician's way of doing it. It's not a group of people standard. Jesus is our standard. If something is wrong, the plumb line shows it. If you want to be right, look and follow Jesus. Our plumb line. You got that? Jesus is our standard. He's our plumb line. Number two, as a result, we see our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is that glory who took on flesh. We fall short of that. He's the plumb line. We're crooked. There is none righteous. No, not one. Jesus is our plumb line. He's our standard. Then, secondly, we, the result is we see our sin. We are crooked and we don't measure up. Point number three. Third step. Know that Jesus is our justice. It's almost like this. Jesus comes in grace and says, Guess what, Cody? You don't measure up, but I do. You can't make it, but I do. He's the perfect one. He lived the life of obedience. And God blesses us with the righteousness of Christ. And we receive mercy and grace, not condemnation. The right understanding of justice begins in our humility and repentance, receiving Jesus who satisfies God's justice against sin. God is just. His wrath, what? Comes on not me, but Jesus. Jesus is our justice. And He has become our justice. We look at the work of Jesus and we see the clearest display of God's justice in Him. Let's pause here again. These first three steps 
you don't have this, you will not understand what justice is about. Because you don't understand. You'll be prideful and say, oh, I can figure this. I'll fix society's problems. We're messed up and we're dependent. Humble. Point number four. The fourth step. Christ-centered social justice is an expression of the gospel. Let me say some bold things here. Social justice is not the gospel. And I believe without the gospel, social justice does not have the power it could have. Social justice on its own is not powerless, but it doesn't have the power because it doesn't have the gospel. Social justice isn't the gospel. You can't do true justice without point one, point two, and point three. You've got to have those first steps. Those first three steps are the gospel. When we understand and have these three steps, we are bound to the one who is justice, and the worship of Christ creates true social justice because we have received it and we are called to live it out. The greatest tool for social justice is the gospel itself, point one, two, and three. You can't just jump to point four, five, and six. You've got to have point one, two, and three first. Doing acts of mercy is not the gospel message. I know some people who all just, they'll just care for the poor, sell everything they have, feed them, and they think that's the gospel. This is part of living out the gospel. Doing part four without part one, two, and three is actually to lose the gospel message. From the foundation of the gospel, part one, two, and three, come standards of conduct bound because we're in Christ and they're found in the change of our priorities, change in our values, change in our behavior, change in our relationship with other people who are not like us. Out of the gospel, then that change comes. When we are changed by the gospel, that change is evident in how we care for the vulnerable from a gospel perspective. We give out justice because God has acted in justice towards us through Christ. We're the best ones to give justice. Because we understand we would be condemned without God. Let's now finish with steps five and six. But too often, people jump to step five and six without one, two, three, and four. Step number five. Ask, what is your role today? Ask God to open your eyes and be broken over our society. Ask God to use you in an area where there is injustice. So I've got a list of them here. Take a look at this. Racial discrimination. Abortion. Care for the elderly. Human trafficking. Welfare of the disabled. Those trapped in domestic abuse. People who grow rich through deceit. Economic issues. 
the poor in dislike. These things should break our hearts. After you get point one, point two, point three down, and point four, we then go to this. God, how can you use me in one of these areas? I encourage you, don't try to grab all of them. Do them try to be involved in all You'll just get overwhelmed. Like there's probably only two or three in this whole list. I could have put more stuff down there. But I believe it's important. Dear Christian, listen. If you've been changed by the gospel, that change will be evident in seeing a list like this and going, oh, my heart is broken. My heart is broken for that group of people. God, use me in any way. So look at that list. I encourage you right now, look at the list and go, that's the area. God's moving in my heart. Or he's been doing that for 10 years. I want to get more involved in caring for the poor, in caring for the elderly. What about the disabled? What about human trafficking, racial issues? There's so much going on. Look at me. God has put you at this time to be his agent of the gospel, to be a minister in these areas. And if, you got, if your heart's like, oh, that's an area, I encourage you to talk to myself, Pastor Tony, or Pastor Eric. If you want resources, don't just Google resources. There's some goofy stuff out there. We'll help you in some of these areas. And here's the last step. Be used by God in His will. Listen to this. It's not your strength, it's His strength. Be used by God in His will. Not your will, not your plan. Oh, I can figure it all out. No, no. His, what's his will? Be used by God in his will for his glory. Not so you can be the superhero, but for his glory. Remember that loving God and loving your neighbor belong together. That's what Amos was saying. You go to the church and you celebrate, but look at what you're doing to the poor. You can't do that. They belong together. Proclaim the whole gospel, which means calling people to follow Jesus, evangelism, and loving people as Jesus would. Let me end with this. Six steps. But you've got to start with step one, two, and three. Then allow God to change your heart and God, say god what have you given me in my hands to use to care for the poor to care for those who are being neglected some of you kids might go to a school where there's the the, the cool people and there's the rejects and you want to sit at the cool person table but what is god calling you to do maybe he's calling you to sit with the cool people so you can share jesus with them or maybe it's he's calling you to sit with the poor kids the rejects who also need Jesus. He's placed you here for his glory to do his work. And each one of you have a place, a job, a neighborhood, a position, a family to do beautiful things for the gospel. Be humble willing to say, God, use me in any way. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank You for the Gospel message in a very simple, specific, narrow sense. The Gospel is that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. And we must confess and believe in Him. But in a very wide, general, beautiful way, as Jesus lived out the Kingdom of God, it's caring for the poor. It's helping those who are disabled. It's not neglecting our neighbor, but loving them. And God, I pray in this season of turmoil in America, revival would happen. And revival means repentance first. Brokenness. So break us from our deceit, from our gluttony, from our self-dependence and reliance. And help us love You and love our neighbor. Let's stand and sing.